Before we get into the usual today, uh, there is just something that I, I have to do. Uh, it, it's if you know we've been around as a church, I don't know, three and a half months now. Uh, we've been meeting weekly, uh, and it's been just such an amazing, incredible experience. But I remember uh, our first three preview services of 2016, October, November, and December. We did one service each week, uh, and the, and all the equipment and all the stuff that you see set up. Uh, we have to go get it from storage in the morning. Uh, we, get, we get a U-Haul, we bring it over here, we set everything up, we break it down, and then we bring it back to storage, and then we return the U-Haul. And uh, when we first started, it was, it was me and six other people uh, that were helping as, as part of the team. But the setup and the breakdown crew was me and two other people, uh, David and Danny. And so I remember our first prayer, me, David, and Danny. Uh, Danny is the bass player, David is the piano player. We are praying, God, just send us, just if it's just one dude, uh, that will help us, <laughs> that will help us set up and break down. And in our second preview service, uh, God answered that prayer with one of the most serving, uh, humble guys I've ever, ever met. And his birthday is tomorrow. Uh, and I just wanted to give out a shout out to David Santos. David, just stand up for a second. He's all the way in the back. Give that dude a hug. When you see him later. <laughs> I love that guy with all my heart. I had never met him before, but I never loved a man so much when he said that he would come and meet me in my house 745 every Sunday to help go to storage with me to set up. Uh, and, you know, when God just brings people that are just ready and willing to serve, uh, yeah, I, I love God, but I love you too, David. You're the man. Thank you for everything. Uh, and so also today, uh, if if... If I don't like, I'm not in the, I'm not trying to greet everybody today because I'm mad sick and was sick all week. And I'm also half deaf because I had a lot of congestion in my head right now. And uh, so if I'm like, what? And get away from me. Don't be offended. I know that's like a source of a lot of people's offense in church is when the pastor like doesn't get close to them, hug them, say hi to them, or pretends like he doesn't hear them. So I promise I'm not doing any of that on purpose today. Uh, but I am excited to preach. Um, and so we are going back to, oh, I didn't, I didn't start my timer, so I got an extra five minutes today. I just started it now. <laughs> uh, we, we are going back to our, our series today. We had a, such an incredible Easter weekend. I, I mean, it was phenomenal. We did our first outreach as a church in Leif Erickson Park, not too far from here. And we served over 400 kids at the park. It was one of the craziest experiences of my life. And I, I, I could tell you, I've been a part of some really wild outreaches. Back in Sunset Park, when it used to be called Gunset, doing street outreach uh, and all the wild stuff that happens. 400 kids fiending for eggs, I was not prepared for that. There is nothing that can prepare. And what parents will do to make sure their kid gets an egg. That's, we're not even going to talk about that one right now because... That was on another level, but it was so much fun, and then just uh, Good Friday, having it in each other's homes, doing communion with each other, and Sunday last week, celebrating that Jesus not only rose from the dead, but is alive today, was just such a phenomenal experience, and I I'm loving it. I'm loving being a part of this, a, a part of what God is doing, but we are jumping back into our series uh, called Gospels. And we are going through the book of Galatians because the, the church in Galatia was a new church, a church plant that the Apostle Paul had planted. 
but something happened after he planted the church. He had preached them the gospel. He had seen people come and experience Jesus and believe in what he had done and the power of his resurrection, his death. But then afterwards, there were other people that came in and said, hey, it's great what Paul taught you, but let me tell you something that's deeper that you need to understand. That yes, Jesus had died for you so you can have relationship with God, but you also need to follow all of the Jewish law if you really want to be saved. Paul gets wind of this, and he gets pissed. I'm not kidding. He is mad. We, we went through the first couple of chapters just exploring the depth of Paul's anger, basically. That's what we did uh, for the first few weeks in Galatians because he uses incredibly strong language to communicate how disappointed, how upset, how angry he is that not only have these people come in and taught this craziness, but that they started believing it. And so Paul begins to in-depth describe the gospel, and he describes it in so many ways and what it means in our life that we, we wanted to talk about it here because we feel like it's appropriate that we understand every angle, all the depths, the richness of what the gospel is, and that there is not many gospels, but there is one gospel that leads to salvation. And so the, the last weeks we've talked about, uh, we, we went, we're kind of doing this thing, we are, and Paul said we are justified through the gospel, which means it's just as if I never sinned. We are people of faith because of the gospel. And today we are going to be talking uh, through what it means to be adopted because of the gospel. We are adopted. But in the process of doing this, we've been talking about the law a lot, the Jewish law. You know, if you read the first few books of the Bible, I've actually been doing it uh, in, in kind of pseudo prep for this because I want to understand the law better since we're talking about it a lot. Uh, and Paul is just hating nonstop on the law, constantly. And that's, that's all we've been doing is hating on the law. Uh, but this is the first time that Paul begins to describe why we had the law in the first place. If it is such a thing that we do not want to have in our life right now, or it makes it seem like that, why even have the law in the first place? What is the point of the law? Why did we have uh, hundreds of years of this is how God had spoken to his people through the law, but now Paul's saying that the law is not what gives us salvation. What gives? What is the point of the law? And so that's where we're going to start today. We're in Galatians 3, starting in verse 19. We're going to read, uh, to start us off, between 19 and 25, uh, and we should have that on the screen for you to read along. Paul says, why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. 
So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus we are all sons of God through faith. So this passage right here reveals two main reasons for the law. The first thing that Paul says is the law was put in place to reveal sin. The law was put in place to reveal sin. Why do we need something to reveal our sin? Good question. Because without the revealing of our sin, we wouldn't have it revealed our need for a savior. See, if you are never told what you are doing is wrong, then you would never really realize that you're a sinner. So the law was put in place. One of the things that it did is it's put in place just so that it can reveal our sinfulness. Thank you, law. Right. I want to talk about why that's important, though. Uh, when I, I was talking to Paul uh, before service about not Paul the Apostle, I'm not crazy. Uh, there's, there's a guy, Paul, here. Uh, and we were talking about my year I lived in Ohio. Uh, and I lived in Ohio. I had a, a gap year in my life where I went to kind of explore God and explore if he was real or not. Uh, and so I, I went to Ohio, and my uncle has a church in Ohio, and he had this Bible school that was really just like a, a free labor school that we got to pray a lot and read the Bible. Uh, so I was an intern, you know, for like eight hours a day in the church. And no bitterness, no bitterness. Um, but anyway, it was, it was an incredible experience. It was really, it, it formed a lot of my life, my relationship with God, my prayer life, my study habits. Um, my, my uncle is an incredible man of God, and just living with him for a year did wonders for me. Uh, but in, in our Bible school, there was like 10 people there, and three people were uh, from, from France. It was really odd. They were from Paris, and they, they spoke English. The, one of the, it was th three people, two girls, one guy. The, the girls spoke English uh, really well. The guy didn't speak it too well. Uh, and I remember one morning we were all coming in for prayer, and one of the ladies, she came in, and she had a, you know, really nice hair, and me as like an awkward 18-year-old trying to compliment women, but it not really, working, not really working out so well, I was like, oh, your hair looks really poofy today. Uh, and she, <laughs> which I know in English is not such a good thing to say to women anyway, but she went, <gasps> you know, as French people do, <laughs> my God, Justin. <laughs> I don't know where my British accent came from, but it's European, whatever. <laughs> and she was like, how could you say this to me? And I was like, I'm trying to throw you a compliment right now. What's up? And she looked at her sister, and he said, my hair is poofy. And her, sis her sister said this to me, oh, my God. Why would you say this to her, Justin? And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm really lost right now. Can you help me out? What is happening right now? Uh, and they were like, do you not know what, what poof means? And I was like, uh, you know, fluffy, nice, you know, high in the air. <laughs> like, what else, what does it mean? She goes, in France, a poof is a prostitute. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, your hair doesn't look poofy then. <laughs> I don't know what to say right now. Uh. 
She said, and then her sister says, you said she looks like a whore. And, <laughs> and I was like, my God, what is happening right now? When does prayer start? Pastor Brian, when are you getting in here? <laughs> so don't ever compliment people from other countries, basically. That's the moral of that story. <laughs> but I, in that instance, I needed a translator to know what I was doing wrong, right? Like, the, I had no clue what was happening between me and this woman at this point and me and her sister. Like, I had obviously deeply offended everything about their French sensibilities in that moment. And the lady's husband was, like, about, he, he, he didn't really know what was going on, but he heard the word poof thrown back and forth a bunch. And, like, he was just getting ready, like, do I punch this dude? Like, am I letting it ride out for a second? What's happening? Uh, but I needed a translator in that moment to kind of reveal to me what was I doing wrong. And that's how I see the law acts right here. It acts as a translator so God's holiness and our sinfulness can be revealed. Because if we don't have something to reveal the deep kind of darkness and depravity of our hearts and the extraordinary holiness of who God is, then we will never know the depth of his grace towards us. And when we understand our total depravity, when we understand the deep darkness that rummages around in our heart, then we understand that we have to have total dependence on God. I got you in this real quick. My man right there. Because if we, we, we will be walking around in a lie, if we go around thinking that we are good people. It's ignorance to think that. Because in our heart, in our mind, in our thoughts every day, we're killing people off, we're cussing them out, we're robbing people, we're thinking about like, all right, you know, maybe this is just me, but... <laughs> Like, we, we have crazy things that are going on in our heart. And a lot of times what's happening in our heart begins to act out in reality. And that's why we have drug addiction. That's why we have adultery. That's why we, we have theft. That's why we have murder. Because the, 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 the darkness of our heart begins to play out in our reality. And the law reveals that to us. It says, hey... You are awfully more sinful than you ever thought you were. And God is incredibly more holy than you ever knew him to be. And what this revelation does for us is it, it makes us look at faith and say, man, Truly, faith is the only salvation. Truly, I cannot obey my way into the kingdom. Truly, I cannot be a perfect law doer. There's nothing I can do in my own works, in my own power. Truly, there is nothing in my own heart that can bring me close to the holiness of God. So the law reveals the extent of our sinfulness so that when Paul says here that it's by faith that we are saved, that we are justified, 
to say, oh, that, that makes sense now. In the depths of our sinfulness, God still reached out and gave hope and said, just believe. Just trust in me. It is not the perfection of your lifestyle. It is not the good deeds that you have done. It it is not the habit training and habit forming that you do now that brings you into heaven. It is faith in my son. But you cannot truly appreciate that or understand it unless you've had the law translated for you. Paul says that the law does not bring life. It does not give righteousness. It could never do that. But what it does do is it reveals. The second purpose of the law was this, Paul says. The law stood as a guardian until Jesus came. Another word for guardian in this context is tutor. The law guided the Israelites. It taught them. It taught them about the wisdom of God, the holiness of God, the attributes of God, what, who he was, kind of how he thought. It enlightened them about who God was, but it was not the fullness of God. See, the law was this this tutor or this guardian, this, this teacher to Israel. It was supposed to be a placeholder until the fullness came, until Jesus came. It, it, would, it was something that while you were kids, this is what you had. You have a tutor. You have somebody that watches over you, that kind of shows you the way, enlightens you. But you don't become an adult until that tutor walks away and you begin to see kind of the fullness of what life is. And that's what Paul says the law is. It played that role in humankind as a guardian until Jesus came and revealed that the fullness of the new and the true covenant was this justification by faith in Jesus Christ. And we've learned that justification is our ability to stand before God, just as if I never sinned. It's our ability to go before him, worship in his presence, pray, be in relationship and communion before him. Even though we are sinners and our holiness cannot be matched with his and we don't deserve to be in his presence. Faith or trust in Christ is the way we obtain this justification. This church had been lied to over and over again, and they were told the law is the way you obtain justification. The law is the way you obtain salvation, and it's a lie that we give into today. Be good, and you will get into heaven. Do good things, and you will be saved. Give money to charity, and when you get before the pearly gates, you will be able to show your tax returns to God, and he will let you in. We 
not just them, have made life about justification by the law. But Paul says, no, 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 no. The law reveals that in actuality, you cannot be justified by it because you will never live up to it. It's by faith in Jesus, by believing in what he's done, that he was the one who took upon the sins, the curses of the law, so that we didn't have to. It's him that goes before God for us on our behalf, so that when we are in the presence of the Father, that he sees the sacrifice of his son, so that we can be holy before him. The law stood as a revealer for our deep need for Christ and our tutor until he came. After Paul reminds them of the purpose of the law, begins to remind them of who they are. And so I want to read in verses 27. And we're going to jump into the next chapter to verse 3. And starting in verse 27, it says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Paul reminds this church, he says, you were baptized. When you get baptized as a Christian, as an adult, it symbolizes the being part of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. When you go under the water, when you submerge, it's you dying with Christ. When you come out of the water, it signifies new life of you being resurrected with Jesus. Paul says, you were baptized. They're trying to make you Jews. The, these, these people that are telling you about the law, they're trying to make you Jews. Don't you realize that in the kingdom of God, there isn't a distinction between Jew and Gentile? There's no distinction between male and female. There's no distinction between a slave and a free person. Don't you know that when you go before God that we are all one before him? Don't you know that you don't need to become a Jewish person to be saved? You don't need to follow the law to be a person who is accepted into heaven. You were baptized. You put your faith in Jesus already. You put your faith in what he's done. You actually participated in what he's done through your baptism. People will constantly try to label us as a church. They'll try to label you as a person. Oh, you're not saved unless you're Pentecostal and you pray in tongues. You're not going to heaven unless you pray for me. Come on. Awkward. You're not saved unless you're Catholic and you receive confirmation. God's going to look for your confirmation stamp when you're going to heaven. To be saved, you need to be a Baptist. You need to follow these rules. 
If, you, if you're off on this one verse, <laughs> I'm sorry, heretic, you're going to hell. says no once we put on Christ that is all that matters we are one we are we are one in being an heir to the promise of salvation we are no longer under a tutor but we are grown adults as a humankind we are grown adults we see the fullness of what God has for us We have transitioned from the child's needs to an adult who has received their inheritance. That transition is everything. Because when you understand the gospel, when you understand what it means, what Jesus has done, salvation encompasses so much in the walk of someone who follows Jesus. It doesn't just mean that you go to heaven, but it means so much more. Paul says it means that you are an heir to the promise. This transition into adulthood, this transition away from a tutor, means that several things have happened in your life here. Let me tell you about them. In verse 4 it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Christ came within our circumstances he was born from a woman like us. He was born under the burden of the law. And he did this so that he can bring us back into his family. He said when he did this, it opened up a way for God to adopt us as his sons. See, in the family of God, we are all seen as adopted sons, and I want to tell you why. Paul describes it this way because in culture back then, it was only the firstborn son that received the inheritance of their father. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, you are all heirs. You are all adopted and will receive this promise. You are all sons. You are one in Christ. As adopted sons, we receive the spirit of God in us. We receive freedom from the law. We receive inheritance as a child of God. And most importantly, Paul says here, we receive the ability to call God Daddy. 
See, when we cry out to God as people who have had faith in Jesus, who have been brought into his family, who have been adopted in to the family of God, it says we, Paul says we have the ability to call him Abba, Father. When we cry out to God, we don't have to just cry out to him in holy kind of formal language and, and oh, holy, holy father or, or oh, holy one or oh, great one. Like I grovel before your greatness. Paul says you it, from your spirit cries out, Abba, father, that Abba is a very intimate, very familiar, very close. It's like calling him dad. The coming of Jesus signaled salvation for all. And salvation also meant adoption. We need to remember and realize today That when we come before God, we come before him, not just as people that are going to heaven, but we come before him as his adopted children. That we can come before him and cry out to him as, Abba, Father, Daddy, I need your help today. A father in scripture is a protector. He is a supplier. He is a peace bringer. He is a covering. And I know many today have not experienced what it means to have a good father. But God opens up his family to you, and he says, I will be your father. I have taken you in as my adopted child. Whether you've been protected or not by your earthly father, you will be protected by me, whether you've been provided for by your earthly father, you will be provided for by me. Scripture says, how many times do you see the, the beautiful lilies of the field? How much does God clothe them and take care of them? How much more will he take care of his children? During worship today, I want you to practice calling God your father. I want you to practice being intimate with him. Maybe your relationship with God so far has only been on formal terms. You've only seen him as king. You've only seen him as Lord. But today God wants to call us to see him as father. He, he calls us today to, to cry out to him as a child would cry out to their parent, Daddy, I need you. In those moments, there's healing. God is the father that no earthly father could be. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is ever-present in a time of need.
Jesus opened up the way for us to enter into the family of God, not in a superfluous way, not in, in a, a surface kind of understanding of God, not in just a kingship understanding of God, a lordship understanding of who he is, uh, of just a throne room and, and, and just a, a peasant that, that cries out to him. Paul says, no, he opened up a way so that we were adopted into the family of a father who says, you are my child. I will care for you. I will protect you. I will watch you. That doesn't mean everything will go right every day in your life, but it does mean that I will be there for you, that I will never leave you or forsake you. It does mean that you can cry out to me in your hardest moments, in your toughest times, and I will be there to answer and to listen. It does mean that you always have your daddy by your side. And let me tell you today, He wants you to experience him as father. That with the package of salvation came a package of a new family. Came the package of the ultimate father. And he calls us to speak intimately, lovingly, deeply with him as an adopted child. Why don't we stand?